Well, this morning we're going to be focusing on 1 Samuel 18 all the way through to chapter 20, and there's a lot of content there, and I'm going to read for you now just the first nine verses of 1 Samuel 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he lived, loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made a commander over the men, uh, made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credited David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The word of the Lord. Well, this morning, um, uh, Pastor Ken hardly needs an introduction, but I thought I would just say one, a couple of things real quick before Ken comes. Um, Pastor Ken, if you don't know, I know some of you have maybe joined us just in this last year or so. Um, he was our founding pastor uh, of TCC way back in 2003. And then in 2017, as we were considering planting a new church, God really laid it on his heart to plant another church. And so Pastor Ken gave leadership to both uh, Southwest Community Church and also Twilliger Community Church. So for two years, he wore these two hats of both church planter and senior pastor. And then in January of 2019, he resigned to focus solely on Southwest Community Church. And we really have the privilege during the summer especially to just partner together with Southwest and with Pastor Ken. Uh, it gives him some time and space and it gives us some time and space to rest and really focus on what God has in store for us for the fall. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Ken now to come and bring the message this morning. Well, good morning. Uh, these are always hazards, these things that you put around your ears. Thank you, Norb, and uh, good morning to all of you. Oh, so good to be here. So good to be home and just to feel part of the fellowship here. Uh, we just appreciate what God is doing uh, at uh, TCC and how he's continuing to give you vision and insight uh, into ministry here in difficult and challenging days but to be creative and to reach out and to make a difference in our community. So, uh, and, to, and to see our staff today. At one time, we had the Southwest staff together, and we had the TCC staff together, and we would pray together, and uh, it was just awesome uh, to be together in that way. But uh, COVID has been crazy for all of us, uh, but what we say is uh, it is what it is. And it never stops God from doing what he does best, and that is to form us and shape us uh, into who he wants us to be. 
Uh, so I, I just want to say thank you to some of you at TCC may not know that uh, you are supporting us financially uh, from uh, year to year, and uh, that means so much to us. So we want to do say, just want to say thank you for that. Well, it's always good to uh, polish uh, up our hiking boots uh, and travel in the direction of uh, uh, a man who left a huge boot print on this world, and his name is David. And maybe it's been a while since uh, we've linked arms with David and learned from him. Uh, he has so much to teach us. Uh, he has a thousand lessons to teach us. Teach us. Most of them are great lessons. And there are a few that yell out, uh, don't do that, but they are lessons nevertheless. So I'm just going to jump right into the pool and uh, start swimming because there's a lot of water to cover between 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 20. And don't worry, we won't stop at every verse and tread water. <laughs> we will keep moving. Uh, we have to keep those strokes uh, long and hard, but uh, there are some awesome truths that are nestled away in these chapters, and I at least want to direct your gaze at some of those nuggets. Do you know, one of the major consequences of COVID uh, for a lot of people, uh, and I know you know this, uh, but some of it, some have experienced this very closely to heart, and that is loneliness, loneliness. I just became aware through reading that uh, three months ago uh, in February, the government of Japan appointed a minister of loneliness. A minister of loneliness to try and reduce loneliness and social isolation among its residents as the country deals with soaring suicide rates. Suicide rates are going through the roof. And Japan and every other country is working to solve the loneliness issue. One company has designed a robot to hold someone's hand when they're lonely. And one man, a company in fact, has a, has a job where they invoice people, they charge people to have the people from their company go and just sit with people in their homes. Uh, no conversation needed, but just be there for a couple of hours in the afternoon and they get paid for it. 40% of adults in two recent surveys said they were lonely. 40% of adults in North America, up from 20% in the 80s. The observations that came out of the study recognized that for elderly people, those without social interaction were twice as likely to die early. The increased mortality risk from loneliness is comparable to that of smoking and twice as dangerous as obesity. So our immune system is impacted by loneliness. In 2015, a huge study using data from 3.5 million people collected over a span of 35 years found that those who fall into the categories of loneliness, isolation, or even simply living on their own, see the risk of premature death rise up to 30%. Well, we don't talk about loneliness too much. I mean, who would ever want to admit that you're lonely? People might be comfortable saying, I'm discouraged, 
Maybe even I'm depressed. But they're not comfortable saying they're lonely because you're the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria. (laughs) That doesn't feel good. There's a nurse who works in Australia in palliative care and she asks her patients whether they had regrets as they approached death. Letting friendships lapse was one of the top five regrets people mentioned as they came to the end of their lives. Have you noticed in your world how easily COVID has suddenly, has subtly pulled us away from one another, away from our friendships? We can't get together. But it's still meaningful to text, but it's still meaningful to get the phone out, it's still meaningful to send an email. Those are all distance removers. And I think, and I am included, have gotten a little soft over the last 18 months. This nurse wrote that many of her patients had become so caught up in their own lives that they let golden relationships slip by over the years. And they regretted it. Uh, We don't hear a lot from our culture in terms of maintaining relationships. Do you know who can encourage us with some great advice because they walked this road before us? And I don't think they were intentionally trying to model anything. I don't think they were trying to teach us anything. They just latched onto one another in deep friendship, and out of that came lessons for the rest of us. Well, there are rock stars today, and uh, Anna uh, did such a marvelous job of teaching us and Cheryl on this theme of Jonathan and David's friendship. These are not Facebook friends. These are real face-to-face friends. They are the real deal friends, best friends forever. So what are some good pieces of counsel that we pick up from Jonathan and David? And maybe we can shove these arrows back in our quiver and just take them out one by one as we need them in our journey. Cheering for one another is, is the first one. Cheering for one another. And, you know, as we turn the pages of our Bible from chapter 17, Norb talked about this last week, the, the conflict of uh, David and Goliath, and now we move to chapter 18, you discover that a young 19-year-old has pulled off one of the greatest upsets in history. This young shepherd lad, who couldn't even wear an army uniform, felt uncomfortable to him, who had never been trained as a soldier, who didn't like the feel of a big sword. I mean, this guy took down a giant 10 feet tall, twice his size. One little rock shall slay him, and he had the right rock. And and when he released his rock from his well-worn slingshot, Goliath was out for good. The earth vibrated with thunderous applause and Israel pumped with fresh adrenaline charged down the hill to defeat the Philistines. And when the dust cleared, it was all about David. He became the idol of Israel, the poster boy, a national hero. Saul said, who is this guy? And brought him right into, his, in the, into the king's court. Had he been thinking clearly, he would have let David go home if he would have, could have read the story that was coming ahead. But he could only see the V signs of the, of the day. Not only, uh, nor did David have a, have a clue 
what a day would bring. Uh, He wasn't going home again. When he left that morning with bagels for his brothers, he thought he'd be back. But he wasn't going home again after delivering Goliath's head to the king. What What he didn't know was that now he would have to go up against another giant. And this giant wasn't bigger than Goliath, not size-wise, but in power. And he was the king of Israel, Saul. And he became very difficult to deal with. I mean, you couldn't cut off his head. He's the king. But he was a strange guy. And I'm sure there were days when David was trying to figure him out. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. What is it? But nearly being pinned to a wall with the king's spear gave him the answer. This royal dude is not on your team. Watch your back. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Isn't God good? When you are unsure of your steps, one of the greatest gifts that God can give you is a friend, a good friend. You can run things past a friend, You can uh, be helped to see where you should go next. You can have a discerning mind uh, in your court. Did you ever ask the question, where was Jonathan when David was outshining his rocks to go and deal with Goliath? Was he there with his father, the king? You do remember that uh, Jonathan was a warrior in his own right. Check out 1 Samuel chapter 14. The, The scene is right out of James Bond. But it demonstrates the warrior skills of Jonathan. And, uh, but where was he when Goliath was bellowing across the valley? No mention of Jonathan. He's the second in command. He's the king's son. And this is not a criticism of Jonathan, really. This, but where was he? And it seems to me that there was a wave of great pessimism and discouragement that flooded the Israeli army. There is an assumption that Jonathan is pretty discouraged because after he had risked his life, his dad never thanked him. His dad never honored him. It could be, and I I will grant this is an assumption, it could be that Jonathan had lost heart and was no longer sure about his dad. Maybe he was no longer sure about God and his own faith. You know, it must be something to grow up in the royal in a royal household and see the mistakes that your dad is making and and not know what to do about it. Jonathan was a good thinker. He was courageous. He was bold. And he was gracious. But his dad was increasingly suspicious, a nervous nilly, and aware that his country, uh, control of the country was slipping away. And he was making one bad call after another. What we don't have to assume is that Jonathan liked everything he saw about David. Oh, it's so refreshing. 
Jonathan liked everything he saw about David. And as soon as David exchanged some pleasantries with the king, chapter 18 opens and instantly there was a connection. And after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Now what was that? That bond. How did that happen? Every once in a while you come across uh, a person uh, who really inspires you. You look at them, you see their heart, you see their vision, you see their actions, uh, you see their authenticity, and uh, suddenly you lift your eyes from the slew of despond and you lift them up and you, you see a white knight on a horse that is positive, determined, and courageous, and you kind of like to hitch up to that. And really, really what you see is someone who cheers you on and someone who you aspire to be like. Uh, maybe you begin to remember who you are. Maybe you remember how God spoke into your life one day. And when you see someone walking the talk or even walking without any talk, you feel this surge of enthusiasm like, oh, I want to be my best too. It just does something inside of you. It just charges you. It remotivates you. I want to be my best again. Because you realize maybe you drifted from that. And uh, I think you know what I mean. I think probably all of us have been there. And we, we find a person and they just renew us and recharge us. Jonathan has been languishing. Languishing. I heard that term on TV the other day in a, on the National uh, by a reporter, by a psychiatrist, in fact, who, who said that many of us are just not our best these days because we are languishing. What does that mean? So I looked it up, and it means a lack of vitality, being feeble or weak. And, and, and we've been there during these last 18 months. We've, we've, we've had a lack of vitality We've been discouraged. And if Jonathan was languishing, then he meets this whiz kid, his own age, and, and who just goes zooming right past him, and, and he trusts God as he looks at the model of David, and then he steps up to the plate. David, what a guy. Now Jonathan's attention is piqued, and he asked the question, who is this guy? And when he met David, he connected immediately. And David, by his passion and love for God, cheered Jonathan. He inspired him authentically, naturally. Not a lot of verbiage, but action. And he loved the guy for his fresh vision and incredible courage. It's like David is Lance Armstrong, pedaling like crazy. And Jonathan just slips in behind him in the draft and he finds his momentum. He finds his renewed determination and inspiration. And before you know it, Jonathan is right back up to speed. Everyone who's a serious biker knows the power of a draft. You get a breather. You get a refresher by getting in the draft to someone who is out in front of you. You don't have to work as hard to keep it up. It's, it, you get a little boost. You get a little boost in your journey. 
So the first lesson is that friends are encouraging. They move us forward. They inspire us. Sometimes we ride in their draft. Do you have some good friends who cheer you on? Uh, It's easy to succumb to the relentless gravity uh, of COVID-19. Or whatever it is, it kind of just keeps pulling us inward. But that's natural. Uh, Don't need to beat ourselves up. But we can resist that and turn the gravity around and see who you can cheer on and watch for, for who is cheering you on. We need one another. Perhaps ask the Lord for a Jonathan in in your life if you don't happen to have one. Or thank the Lord for a Jonathan in your life. I'm so grateful for the Jonathans and the Davids in my life through the years that have been so inspiring and so life-sustaining. The second arrow in our quiver is the intentional commitment of friendship to one another. The intentional commitment. 1 Samuel 18.2 informs us that from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. You know, this is an amazing friendship that was forming and a most unusual one. And David and Jonathan are probably close to the same age. Uh, Some are suggesting that David is younger by about five years uh, than Jonathan. But they're peers. They're peers. And and they have a lot in common, including their love for God and their boldness. They both have this courageous spirit. And they made a solemn commitment to one another. Remember, they're just meeting one another, so this is strange. But God's doing something here. And these are two young guys, both on track for the same throne, uh, as Anna and Cheryl pointed out so well, yet they made a covenant of friendship that would overcome all the obstacles that could be lurking. And there were a lot of minefields like jealousy and ambition and envy. And when Jonathan gave David the robe and his armor, he said by his action, you will be the next king of Israel. You should be dressed and armed as the crown prince. God's hand is on you, and these rightfully belong to you. How did he know that? How did he know that? Because Jonathan was surrendered to God, he could see the hand of God upon David. And he knew David's destiny, and he was perfectly willing to lay aside his ambition to honor the Lord's choice. Can you grasp that? Jonathan is young, his whole life is before him, and he gets what God is doing. He gets it. David received the robe and the armor, but not at all with an attitude, well, like hand it over, (laughs) meet your coming king. Not at all. David wasn't going to be king for another 20 years. And in those years, wow, Jonathan was such a great friend until he was killed in battle. And David mourned for his friend. I love it that although David knew his destiny, he didn't rush God. And all through these hard years, he remained loyal to the reigning king, Saul. Even though he was a madman. 
Jonathan and David shared the same soul. That's why today we use the word, they're soulmates. They, they, they think together, they, they, they work together, they pray together, they, they're one. And David and Jonathan had the same soul. And so immediately, out of the gates, they were intentional in their commitment of friendship one to the other. There was no doubt a bit of a, a cultural thing that's happening here, the forming of a covenant between one another. Here's my robe. But really he was saying, here's my loyalty. Here's my covenant with you, David, that we're brothers. <clears throat> it basically meant I'm going to be loyal to you for the rest of your life. You can always count on me. David, I will always have your back. For us uh, today, I guess we would just lose the formality part of all of this and we would attempt to live out our commitment to one another. As Nike says, just do it. And that would be our experience today without exchanging anything. Uh, every friendship gets tested as the years go by. So in that testing, we all make a decision, yes or no. Will we continue to be committed to the friendship? Uh, and this is worth saying over and over again. A friend can often see what God is doing in your life. Pay attention to your friends. Jonathan could see it in David. He knew. He knew what God was doing in his life. I do love how Eugene Peterson in his book, Leap Over a Wall, picked up on Martin Buber's comments. Now, Martin Buber, Buber was a Jewish gentleman who had a very strong faith in God. But he wrote this, the greatest thing any person can do for another is to confirm the deepest thing in him or her, to take the time and have the discernment to see what's most deeply there, most fully that person, and then confirm it by recognizing and encouraging it. Isn't that helpful? I like that. Call out what you see in your friend as a means of encouragement and affirmation. Call it out if you can. Call it out. When you see something and God's doing something in your friend's life, call it out. Uh, I remember my college pastor days and, and my college pastor calling it out in me when I was only 18 years of age. He wasn't even really close to me, but what he said really stuck. It was what I was feeling, it was what I was going through, it was what I was sensing from God, and his words stuck in my heart. Tell your friend what you feel, not carelessly, not carelessly, but carefully. All of this is intentional. It's an intentional friendship with recognition that it always needs cultivating, but it begins with intentionality. And intentionality has a lot of implications. It means being together. It means communicating with one another. It means looking out for one another. And it really has this whole ingredient of time connected to it. We need time for that friendship. And despite more time with COVID, it's still easy to recoil into our inner self and into our own little universe and hibernate there pull the covers over our head. But intentional means shutting off the TV and going for a walk. Intentional means pulling out the bike and 
having a ride with your friend. Maybe it's a Tim Hortons connect time for 30 minutes. Maybe it's a prayer time over the phone. Maybe it's a study time. I've mentioned uh, to the Southwest congregation that I'm that I meet with pastors on a weekly basis uh, on uh, Zoom, and uh, we we now have an app called The Way, and it's it's a discipleship tool. It's just coming out. It's just being launched these days, and uh, you can just pull out your iPhone and uh, and and press on the app The Way, and you can study together. And it's a discipleship tool that can be used one-on-one or it can be used with a small group. So imagine meeting at Timmy's and just doing a 30-minute study with your friend. You just pull it out and you've got all the questions there. You've got, you've got the main dialogue points. Intentionality. Resist the comfortable, the inward pull. Don't spend, spend the rest of your life holed up inside. A nudge. Move out. Move out. Third, the third arrow in our quiver is the reminder that friendship can be costly. This wasn't an easy relationship between Jonathan and David because of the complicating factors, and namely one, larger than life, the king of Israel, the father of Jonathan. King Saul uh, was so relieved when David killed Goliath, but that only lasted a proverbial minute, and suddenly he got jealous. And do you know what punched Saul in the gut so strongly? It was after the battle and on their way home, Pastor Norm read it, that women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song, that Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. How would you like that to be your national anthem? How did Saul feel about this? ego punch. It says this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. Ah, now we see it right there. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. David was always in the crosshairs of Saul's evil intentions from that day forward. He gives uh, David some impossible challenges, like you can marry my daughter uh, if you you go out to fight in in war and you bring back the spoils of war. And It was all a ploy to to have David killed out on the front lines so that uh, Saul wouldn't have to do it directly. But the Lord always prospered David. Whatever he did, he prospered. Whatever battle he went into, he won. And in between this messy thing with the king, we have Jonathan and David who were soul, soul brothers, soul, soulmates. And if you read the story, you find out that Jonathan really doesn't believe that his father's serious. He, he just can't grasp that his dad would kill David. Not my dad. No, you're, you're stretching that, David. And David has to say, yes. Your dad. Honestly, he wants to kill me. Jonathan, you have to believe that. And finally, Jonathan got it. And Jonathan stood up to his dad. No one, no one else could have possibly done that without having their head knocked off. And listen to these words. This is father to son. 
Saul went into one of his mad rages. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that, king, uh, that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on the second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. Messy. Messy. It's not fun to see your dad lose it. I mean, we look up to our dads. And the guy you have looked up to all your life is suddenly very human. What a tough one for Jonathan. Jonathan stood up to his dad and he said, You're wrong. Dad, you're wrong. You're way off base in this. You're just wrong. And he said that to him directly. But friends, I want you to note that if you look at this real closely, you'll never find Jonathan criticizing his dad publicly. One-on-one, yes. But he was loyal to his dad, and he was loyal to his friend David. And that must have been so hard to live out. Have you been hurt by your dad? It's hard when someone you look up to brings pain into your life. But as you grow up, you have to deal with that. And and the sooner you forgive your dad, the sooner you find freedom in in your life. And there comes a time when we have, have to deal with it. And David the same. He was loyal to Jonathan, but also to the king. There were times when he could have knocked the king off, but he refused to do so because he was the king. And David respected the office of the king. So the reminder that friendship can be costly. Jonathan had to take risks to provide David with information about what was going on. And he actually went to visit him in the wilderness where he was hiding. He risked his own life to get to David out in in the wilderness. David really needed a friend. There were 20 years between this time and when David became king. And a lot of that time was in hiding. You know, when David was so afraid of King Saul, he lamented that to Jonathan. And do you know what Jonathan said? Tell me what I can do to help you. Tell me what I can do to help you. That's a healthy friendship. What can I do? What do you need? Sometimes it's just to be there. Tell me what I can do to help you. Do they, does your friend need some encouragement? Some affirmation? Do they need a hug? Do they need an act of service? Do they need a little surprise gift? Do they need some of your time? Those are the love languages. David had a friend in Jonathan. But sometimes friendships are costly, even today. It often means sacrifice for friendship. Not too long ago, one of the men in our church shared that his mom was uh, donating a kidney to his dad. Friendship and marriage. Sometimes it's a, th- it's a three in the morning phone call. It's listening and uh, helping to carry a burden. It might be an emotional crisis. It might be the loss of life in your friend's family. 
It might be listening to the pain of a parent. Sometimes it might mean supplying some financial resources. It can mean time and energy, but when he's your friend or, or she's your friend, it's a non-issue. You're willing to shoulder that alongside of your, of your friend. Well, there are, there are more arrows in the quiver in 1 Samuel 18 to 20. It's just a very well-heeled passage. More nuggets in the gold mine, but I just wanted you to notice as we close that in between the white spaces, <clears throat> both of these men had a relationship with God. And they leaned into that relationship. And uh, that's such a blessing to both be on the same track spiritually. Uh, you can parachute into chapter 23 and you can see Jonathan finding David in the wilderness. And guess what he says? Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. So God will give you the insight to know how to bless your friend. Help you be a person who says, tell me what you need. What do you need? And stay strong in your faith to God. Friends uh, often find their way into uh, our prayer list. As you pray for your friend, God will show you what they need. And uh, you will surprise your friend by the fact that you already know what they need. He'll put a burden on your heart when it's time to pray. Uh, He'll let you know how to care for your friend. Sometimes the Lord will give you a word for your friend, a word of encouragement, a word of guidance. Listen for the whispers of the Spirit. Speak hope into your friend's life. Speak hope. Speak courage. Jonathan said to David, you'll be king. You'll be king. Uh, and, And you say to your friend, you will make it. You will be okay. Uh, Tell the stories of God's faithfulness. One person said to me once, I just needed someone to tell me I would get through this. You'll get through this. You'll get through this. And, And thank God for your friend. Send them a note today saying, thanks for being my friend. And tell them how much you appreciate them as a friend. Loneliness. So rampant today. Uh, I close with this thought. I love you not only for what you are, but what I am when I am with you. I love you not only for what you are making yourself, but what you are making me. Great quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I love you not only for what you are, but what I am when I'm with you. I love you not only for what you're making yourself, but what you're making me. Friends, can I just put us on pause for a moment and ask you to bow with me? Do you need a good friend? Do you need a good friend? Ask the Lord this morning to begin to show you who that person might be. Do you need a good friend? Ask the Lord to show you who that person might be. Have you been hurt by your friend? Have you been hurt by your friend? Maybe it's time to forgive. Start over. Have you pulled inward, but you want to move outwards, but you you find yourself pulling inwards? Is it time to invest more in others? Have I pulled into myself, and I need to intentionally begin to stretch myself again? Ask the Lord and listen.
Father, our world can be lonely, especially when we lose someone who's uh, dear to us, especially when we lose a friendship. And Lord, what a difference we can make in our lonely world as your followers, because you fill the loneliness gap and you have others that can fill our friendship gap. So I just pray, Father, on this, uh, on this morning that you would use this awesome Jonathan and David story to encourage us to never give up, to not pull inwards, but to see what more you have for us in strengthening our hearts to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.